If you have a Bible, please turn with me to the book of Revelation, and we're in chapter 19. As we're looking at the book of Revelation, we said when you're reading the Bible, you gotta, you got to read it in its context. So what was going on? The first century church was being persecuted. The apostle John was banished to an island as punishment, and Jesus appears to him. So the book of Revelation, the first verse is the revelation of Jesus Christ. John turns around, he sees Jesus, and Jesus comes to him so that he could come to all of us and give us encouragement. Because there's a couple questions that remain in our mind. Number one, why does God let bad things keep happening to Christians? I mean, this book is as relevant today as it was back then. Right now in Afghanistan, Christians are being slaughtered. This book is written to encourage those Christians in the first century who were being slaughtered. And then also, life is hard for everybody, but especially for Christians. Many of the afflictions of the righteous. And so the book also gives us great encouragement by reminding us what awaits us when the Lord returns. And so early in the book, chapter 1, verse 7, it says he's coming in the clouds. So we're in chapter 19 today. We've gone through a series of judgments, seven bowls, seven seals, seven trumpets. But the last two chapters were about the destruction of Babylon. What in the world is that? And I suggested that I think Babylon here represents the world system. There's been this great coup, there's been this great overturn on planet Earth. If you ever watch the introduction to the Flintstones, you're supposed to put the dog out, right? So Fred puts Dino out. But Dino jumps in real quick and puts Fred out, and then the song has Fred banging on the door trying to get back into his rightful home. Now that's a terrible illustration of an interesting truth, and that is that God created this earth for him alone to reign over it. No one else. Adam would be under him as his theocratic king, but God would ultimately be the king. But God allowed Satan to steal that glory temporarily. He allowed him to overthrow it. He allowed him to corrupt and dominate and twist this world as we know it now. And so the Bible calls this a dark evil age in which Satan is ruling and reigning. Now, he doesn't have unconditional reign and rule, but he is reigning over the earth. In fact, when Christ came to earth, he goes, hey, I can give you the kings of the earth. They were given to me. So while he's ruling and reigning, he's doing everything he can to hurt Christians. So here in chapter 19, we're celebrating the fact that God is going to take back the earth. He's going to to crush this rebellion, and he's going to take back his rightful reign. And then he's going to give us another blessing. We're going to go to a wedding. We're going to be part of a wedding. We're going to be both a bride and, a, and uh, an invited guest at a wedding. And then we're going to see that the Lord, at the end of this chapter, is coming again, which we'll study next week. So there's two key themes that I want us to see today. The first couple verses, we're going to learn how to praise God for taking back his reign. And you're like, it's kind of, it's a cool drama. It's like, that's why what's fun about watching sports, especially if you're watching it and you're with someone who's rooting for the other team. The other team, you know, somebody throws a pass. The other team intercepts it. And you're sad and the other team's jumping up and down because their guy is running with the ball. And that's the devil. He intercepted, right? And so the world is rejoicing that the devil intercepted. But right before he scores the touchdown, Jesus takes the kingdom back from him. And suddenly, the guy who was laughing and rejoicing is now on the floor going, no! And that's really 
truthfully what we're going to see here. We're going to see in chapter 18, we saw that when Christ destroys this world, the people of this world are going to go, no, no. But the people who are followers of Christ are going to go, yes, praise God. And so let's look at this passage. It's really interesting. We'll pray together. Lord, open our eyes and speak to us so that today we can be encouraged as we grieve for Christians who are suffering, as we grieve that we're being persecuted even in our country. May we hope in the time that you will take back your reign and may we look forward to that great wedding. May we save the date. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. So look with me. He says, after these things, I heard something like a loud voice of a great multitude in heaven. Now this will repeatedly come up in the book of Revelation. Number one, there's a great crowd, and that crowd is multi-ethnic. We're told it's from every tribe, tongue, people, and nation. It's multi-class. It's going to be small and great, rich and poor, and they're going to be loud. Don't, don't forget this. About 12 times in the book of Revelation, it talks about heaven being loud. So those of you that like peace, quiet, the Bible says heaven's a rest, but you, you need to learn how to get your praise on. So, this is, this is all believers when the Lord returns. There is a loud voice in heaven saying, Hallelujah! Now, let me just say something about that word. The only time the New Testament uses that word is here. Four times in this passage. Hallelujah, hallelujah. Now, um, people say that all the time. A lot of people have no idea what it means. It's actually a Hebrew word, and it's a commandment. Hallelujah means to praise. Yah is a shortened form of the Old Testament name of God. So literally, hallelujah means praise God. Now, it, 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 technically, it's not even saying, I praise God. It's a commandment. Yo, pray, you, praise God. So it's used all the time in the Psalms. Hallelujah. It's an invitation to others. Praise God. Four times we're going to be encouraged as Christians to praise God, to vocally, verbally, loudly praise God. And interestingly, we learn various reasons why to praise God, right? You're like, oh, wow, um, we're going to have fruit kebabs afterward. Praise God. Yeah, that's all right. We can praise God for who he is. Lord, you're so merciful. Praise God. Oh, wow, the Lord spared this, these people and got some people out of Afghanistan. Praise God. You praise him for who he is, what he did. But this one's interesting. We're going to praise God for punishing evil and taking back his reign. So notice, hallelujah, salvation and glory and power belong to our God. That's why we, we sang this song, and I'm sure Benjamin will have us sing it again. Salvation belongs to our God. Even Jonah said it in the, as he came out of the bottom of the sea. Salvation belongs to God. And so all of these attributes, our salvation are all because of God's power and glory, and he alone gets the worship. Why are we going to say hallelujah? Why are we told, hey, you should praise God? Why? Because his judgments are true and righteous. For he has judged the great harlot, the prostitute, the whore who was corrupting the earth with her immorality. Now, we said there that that's talking about the world system. This is how people roll, this is how people think. This is how people live. This is how people function horizontally on planet Earth. They leave God out. 
It's not like everybody's going around with their fist in God's face saying bad words, but they ignore God and they indulge themselves and anything goes. Sex, money, power, glory, fame, whatever. It doesn't matter. We don't need God. And that ain't the way it's supposed to be. And one day God's coming hard and fast and he's going to do what he said he's going to do. Particularly, he has avenged the blood of his bondservants on earth. Now, interestingly, way back in chapter 6, John gave us a vision. It was a vision, he says, I saw the souls of Christians who had been martyred. Their blood was shed on the earth. And right now, they're up in heaven, and, they're, and this is what they're saying. How long, O Lord, until you avenge our blood on the earth? You're going to let them get away with this? And God says to them, relax, just wait, I'll do it. Now we read it. All this time, the saints in heaven are going, Lord, how long till you pay back the wicked? This is when it happens, when God comes back. And when he comes back, we're told, praise God, hallelujah. And then he says this, her smoke rises up forever and ever. When you see in the Bible when everything's in capital like that, it's usually telling us that's an Old Testament quotation. This is from the book of Isaiah. In the book of Isaiah, God judged a city called Edom, and it says her smoke rises up forever and ever. And this became symbolic of the eternal punishment that God's going to give to people who don't turn to Christ and receive his mercy. There's a lot of false teaching out there. Number one, you'll go to purgatory and then you'll get out. If you don't go to heaven, according to the Bible, you're going to spend eternity in hell. There's another false teaching that says, oh, we'll just, we'll just go there for a little while and then you'll say you're sorry. And you'll, you know, there's a, a book by Rob Bell called Love Wins. Everybody in hell is going to be won over by God's love. There's another lie out there and that's called annihilation. You know, you'll burn for a little bit and then you'll cease to exist. The Bible says that when we go to hell, if you don't come to Christ, it's day and night torment forever. And God is not willing for any, he does not want that. He sent his only son to take hell on the cross so that we don't have to, but you might as well just mark this down. If you won't come to Jesus, that's what waits for you. Day and night, smoke rising up. Now, who's going to be worshiping him? The 24 elders we saw in, in chapter 5, that that probably represents the church and Old Testament saints, and the four living creatures. These are angels, and then there's people, and they fell down and they worship God who sits on the throne saying amen now why do they say amen amen in hebrew means so be it when somebody says something that that is true and you agree with it and you affirm it that's where amen comes in amen's not a bunch of crazy notes going amen yo what's up it's biblical to say amen when something is stated that resonates with your soul and you agree with it and you say that's the truth right so in first corinthians 14 it says when someone gives thanks if, if if they do it in a tongue you don't understand them how can you say amen so you ready for this it's okay to say amen right the only time i don't want you to say it is when i go now for my last point <laughs> i want you to say it then but outside of that it's okay when you hear a biblical truth and we don't want to be shouting and hollering so nobody can hear us but if something resonates with your soul, you don't have to go, amen. You can say, amen, brother. That's the truth, and that's biblical. That's not weird, right? So as they're praising God that he's going to take back his reign, amen, right? And a voice came from heaven or from the throne saying, 
Now remember, hallelujah, what does hallelujah mean? And it's a commandment, praise God. This time, the angels were like, let me try it in a different language. I just told you to praise God in Hebrew, now I'll tell you to praise him in Greek. Give praise to our God. Who? All you his bondservants. This is all a way of describing believers. If you're a believer, you're his servant. You're like, look, they got me up there. The great. Okay. Eh, you're probably one of the small. We're the small, but there will, there will be great people in heaven. One queen of England, the Bible says, God hasn't chosen many noble, but a queen of England got saved. She said, I'm thankful that it doesn't say God hasn't chosen any. There will be great, powerful world people who get saved, but mostly little guys like us, the small and the great, up there praising God. Can you go back to that verse for a moment? Verse, can, are we able to go backwards? Yeah. So, so we're told, praise God, all of you. Why? Why do we praise God? Well, let's now go to verse 6. Then I heard something like the voice of a great multitude and like the sound of many waters and the sound of mighty peals of thunder. This is just how loud people are. You know, sometimes you might go by a stadium, right? If you ever, hasn't this happened to you? You're at the ball game, it's nothing, nothing, and you get up to go get something to eat and then you hear, oh, like, dang, I missed it. A loud roar, okay? These are the people of God. This is going to be us. We're going to be praising God at the top of our lungs. And what are we going to say? Hallelujah, for the Lord our God, the Almighty, reigns. And what do you think about this? That's, a, that's an interesting phrase, the Lord God reigns. Like, what's God doing right now? Isn't he reigning right now? Yes. The book of Daniel says, the Lord, sat at, or, the Lord reigns forever. I, uh, Psalm 29, the Lord sat as king in the flood, the Lord sits as king forever. God always reigns. God never puts down his, his scepter and goes, I just need a break. Hey, Gabriel, can you reign for a couple hours? He always reigns. Nothing, not a, not a hair falls off of my bald head that God doesn't know about everything. So he always reigns. And anything that happens to you is part of his plan. He allowed it. He reigns. But what's the mystery is, if God's reigning, why is all this bad stuff happening? That's because right now, the kingdom of God has not fully come to this earth, but it's coming hard, fast, and continuously. And that's what we're supposed to be praying, the Lord's Prayer. Lord, let your kingdom come to this earth. So, so God is up in heaven, but Jesus is coming back. And when he comes back, the book of Revelation keeps telling us, this is what's going to happen. Revelation 11, the Lord comes back. Hallelujah, the kingdoms of this world have been the kingdom, become the kingdoms of our Lord and of his Christ, and he will reign forever. It's almost like somebody should write a song. Hallelujah, for the Lord God Almighty reigns. Oh yeah, we sing that. And what about Beethoven's, is it Beethoven? Hallelujah chorus, right? Ha yeah, handles. Yeah, like the, the idea, you're, you're, that's why I stay in your lane, Tom. Don't try to get in classical music. <laughs> Stay with the Bible. But you get the point. This is when God comes back to earth. Hallelujah. God took back the rule and reign and stomped out the wicked, and he alone is king. And that's good news and bad news. How can it be bad news? If you don't trust and love him, that's bad news for you. If you trust and love him, that's good news for us. So, 
We then read, verse 6. Then I heard, I'm sorry, let's, let's move to verse 7. Let us rejoice and be glad and give the glory to him. I mean, is there any other thing he could say? Hallelujah, 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 hallelujah. Praise God, rejoice, be glad, give him glory. I think I'm getting the point here. He didn't stutter like, I get it. And we're learning. This is a praise preview. This is what it's going to be like to praise God. And, and this is supposed to lift us beyond the junk that we're going through to go, but it's getting better, right? For us who are believers, this is what we wait for. But then John turns the corner. He goes, okay, so we're going to praise God for taking back his reign. But then he says, but I got something else for you. Not just he's going to put a beat down on them, but he's going to put a blessing on you. Save the date. Here's your wedding invitation. Now, for the most part, weddings are fun. Weddings are celebrations. Weddings are banquets. Weddings are dancing and singing and rejoicing. Unless you're the father of the bride. Then it's like, oh, my word. How much? Can't you just elope? Right? But the point is, the whole idea of a wedding ceremony is supposed to be a joyful occasion, right? And so there are different ways that God in the Bible wants to help us to anticipate how good heaven's going to be. I mean, I would be fine if he just said, be happy that you're not burning in hell. Now get your harp. But it's way bigger than that. In fact, there are different ways that God's describing for us how wonderful it's going to be to be with him in the future. But mark this down. You're not going to be in heaven. We're not going to be floating around. We're going to be on earth. God is coming to earth. He's going to destroy the wicked and he's going to create a new heaven and new earth. And we're going to have bones and flesh and bodies, but there will be no more pain, no more sorrow, no more suffering. We will be singing, joyful, no more death, no more fears, no more anxiety, no more problems, but precious joy. And one of the ways God describes it is he says, you're my children. So Dad's coming to be with his kids. But John's mind one time got so blown away with anticipating the future, he, he didn't even know what to say. He said in 1 John 3, Beloved, now we're the children of God. But it has not yet appeared what we shall be. When he comes, we'll be like him. I'm like, wait, John, did you, you just told me I'm a child of God. When Jesus comes back, it, it's, it's going to be even more intimate than that? Yeah, it has not yet appeared what we shall be. Like, Maybe John couldn't come up with a way of describing how good it is to be in heaven. And so as a Christian, he goes, let me, let, me, let me have you think about this. Think about going to heaven as going to a wedding. So he says, give glory to him. Why? For the marriage of the lamb has come. Now, number one, people call this the marriage supper of the lamb. And Christians have quibbled about this. Who's going to be there? And those who take the futuristic view say, oh, now this is just a separate dinner just for people from the time of Jesus, just from the time of Jesus till the time of the rapture. It's a special dinner just for the church. Now, the Israelites, they could be there, but they're just guests. And I'm going, I don't buy it. This is for all the people of God. And describing it as the marriage of the Lamb as if you're a Christian, you're going to be in a wedding, you are 
the bride. Okay? So number one, how do you get ready for a wedding? The bride has made herself ready. I mean, that's crazy. Guys don't care about this, for the most part. Sorry if some of you do, but guys don't go, oh, I've been thinking about this since I was five years old. I'm going to stand here, and I want to wear this. They're just like, show me where to be. What time do I need to be there? But often girls really, and this is cool. This is one of the differences between guys and girls. Guys think, or girls often think and dream about, you know, my dress. All I'm worried about is how much. Don't they have one at a second-hand shop? You're like, he's a cheapskate. So you wait, dads. Don't be laughing. You wait. You have daughters. All right, so he says, the bride has made herself ready. So then you start planning. Then all of a sudden, you see mom, bridezilla might come out. Like, like it's not, it's supposed to be, sometimes when I'm doing wedding rehearsals, I'm like, this is supposed to be fun. Will you simmer down? Relax. It's supposed to be a joyful ceremony. How does a bride make herself ready? Well, it was given to her to clothe herself in fine linen, bright and clean. What does that mean? So Jesus didn't say, go pick out your dress, take my card. He gives us what we're going to wear. Fine linen, bright and clean. Now, this, this imagery is really interesting because it has a dual picture. First of all, the fine linen indicates that we are completely forgiven, okay? We are washed white as snow. I once did a wedding, have mercy, but someone let the, the bride, a little boy with a glass of grape juice, get near her, and it, it happened. I saw it, grape juice on her dress. No turning back. This is a few minutes before the wedding, okay? So God looks at you and me, and he says, you can't wear that filthy outfit if you think you're going to be in heaven. You're like, what? You don't like my outfit? It becomes a picture of who we are. The Bible says we're filthy. Now, you might be clean on the outside, and you might be nice, but we're filthy. Our hearts are evil, and we are dirty. And don't deceive yourself into thinking, I'm not like those other people. We're all sinful. And the only way you'll get into heaven is if God clothes you with the righteousness of Christ as a gift, as he washes us. And so the Bible says, blessed are those who have washed their robes and, and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. And so we sing, have you been to Jesus for his cleansing blood? Are you washed in the blood of the Lamb? If that's weird to you, pray about that. What does that mean, Lord, to be washed in the blood so that my garments are white as snow? Jesus says, though your sins be stained like scarlet, they'll be white as snow. That's a blessing. Say amen to that. Your sins are forgiven. When I get to heaven, Jesus is going to be, you're not pure enough because he made me pure. But then the imagery twists from the gift of God's grace to the response to God's grace. Because look what it says. The fine linen is the righteous acts of the saints. You go, well, wait a minute. What does that mean? Remember what it said earlier? The bride made herself ready. There's this imagery in the Bible that God's salvation is absolutely free. You don't earn it. It's a gift. You just come as you are, and you believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and he completely forgives you. But if that happens to you, 
there is an absolute necessity that your life changes. You don't change yourself, but you change. The Bible calls that working out your salvation with fear and trembling. The the theological term is sanctification. We don't just tell people, here, Jesus loves you just how you are. Then we say, but he loves you too much to leave you that way. And so after he forgives you, he begins to transform you. And your transformation will begin to show itself in righteous acts. You're like, that's kind of confusing. What does that mean? You'll start doing what's right. If you say you're a Christian and you lie and you steal and you sleep around and whatever, right? How can you claim to be washed if, you're, if there's no difference? And so in this book, John keeps telling these saints, keep your robe white. Don't compromise. Persevere. Don't be afraid to testify of Christ. So the preparation of, of the Christian is while we're on earth, we're being tested and tried, and we're going to experience things that are going to, going to cause us to go, you're going to cheat on Jesus or not? And so here we're called, and so too many Christians go, I raised my hand when I was four years old, and I go, well, you're, a, you're an addict and an axe murderer now. Yeah, well, grandmom told me I'm going to heaven because I, I, I said a prayer. no. If you've been washed in the blood of the Lamb, you'll begin to follow the Lord. If you will not follow the Lord, don't deceive yourself into thinking just because you call him Lord, Lord. He said, many will, I'll say to you, get out of here. All you did was practice wickedness. Now, I carefully want to say to those of you who are struggling, if you're struggling not to sin, that doesn't mean you're not a Christian. That's a mark that you are a Christian. And even if you're defeated and struggling and, and, and having the hardest time, that's a good sign. But if you could care less and you sin like it's your job, don't think that, oh, just because you said blah, blah, blah to Jesus, that he's going to go, come on in, free hell insurance. So this, this is a beautiful way of reminding us that forgiven sinners, that's why we advance the gospel, and then we make disciples. Your Christianity began with salvation, but but. Jesus said, go and make disciples and baptize them. If you're not baptized and you say you're a believer, help me understand that. That's the first commandment Jesus gave to his followers. Believe and be baptized. We've got a baptism coming up. If you say you believe, but you refuse to get baptized, where's the disconnect? But then you don't just get baptized and do whatever you want. You get baptized and then you're, you're in a fellowship, you're accountable, you're praying, counseling, we, we pray for one another, we, we struggle together and we help each other to grow and then we try to reach others. But remember, the big picture here is God's going to put a beat down on the wicked and take back his reign and he's going to put a blessing on Christians. So then he says to me, right, blessed are those who are invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb. Blessed are those who are invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb. Save the date. Did you get your invitation? You just got it. And by the way, if you were invited, it was nothing to do with you. It's all about him, all by sovereign grace. It's not because he saw in you a little bit better than the other kids, in you a little tenderness. Uh-uh. Everyone who's a believer, the Bible says, it's because God called them. What a blessing. 
So if ever there was a time to say amen, if you're a Christian, guess what? You've been called to the marriage supper of the Lamb. Praise the Lord, right? You're not going to show up and go, uh, what ta- oh, my name's not here, unless you're not saved. But if you're a believer, you're in, right? And then he says to me, these are the true words of God. Take your Bible for a minute. Hold it up. No, I'm serious. Take your Bible and hold it up. Repeat after me. These are the true words of God. Wow, you should never try um, to, to choreograph. Let's try that again. Repeat after me. These are the true words of God. Now, do you believe that? Because I can tell you this. There are millions of people in this planet and in this country and in this neighborhood and in Bucks County and some of them are in your home that do not believe that. Get over it. If you believe it, then live that way and speak that way. And don't worry about everybody liking you or not offending someone. These are the true words of God. And if people are like, oh, you're so hateful. You, you think Jesus is the only way. I'm like, don't shoot the messenger. These are the true words of God. I just believe them. I didn't say I'm the way, the truth, and life. No one comes to God but through me. Jesus did. And I just happen to believe it. You've probably seen the bumper sticker. God said it. I believe it. That settles it. Actually, that's not a good bumper sticker. It should just say, God said it. That settles it. Doesn't matter whether you or I believe it or not. But these are the true words of God. So let's embrace them. Let's believe them. Let's trust them and pray that God will help us to live that way. Well, the last thing we're going to see is John was so overwhelmed, like, what? That he didn't know what to do. This mighty angel. And John just says, "Then, then I fell at his feet to worship him. He got wing slapped. The angel's like, what? We're going to read it again in chapter 21. He does it again. He's just so overwhelmed. The angel goes, get up. Don't do that. Why not? Worship God. I'm just a fellow servant of yours and your brethren who hold the testimony of Jesus. If you're a Christian, you know what that means to hold the testimony of Jesus? It means that you are willing to identify, first of all, as a Christian. If you're not willing to get baptized and publicly say, I believe in the Lord Jesus and I confess him as my Lord and Savior, you might not be a Christian. Jesus said, if you're ashamed of me, I'll be ashamed of you. The first thing God will help you to do is to hold to the testimony of Jesus. You're a Christian, you're not going to go, you're going to go, yes, yes, by God's grace. I'm a coward just like everybody else. But when God puts us on the spot, we hold to the testimony of Jesus. Pray for me. I don't want to put my foot in the grave not having held to the end to the testimony of Jesus. And the race isn't over, so we have to pray for one another. But then he says this, worship God. Why? For the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. What does that mean? Prophecies are predictions. From the beginning of the Bible, prophets were always making predictions through the Spirit of God. So ultimately, they're God's predictions. So when the devil goes, yes, I just got Adam and Eve to sin, God goes, I got a prediction. Hey, devil, from the seed of the woman, somebody's going to crush your head. And on the story goes, Genesis 22. Hey, Abraham, sacrifice your son. Oh, wait, the Lord will provide the lamb. And the story moves on. Moses, I'm going to raise up a prophet like you, and anyone who doesn't listen to him will perish. What's the theme here that we keep hearing? David, 
hey, David, one of your sons is going to be the descendant of David. He's going to be the anointed Messiah, and he's going to reign forever. Isaiah. And by the way, this anointed Messiah isn't just going to come and reign. He's going to suffer. He's going to be beaten. He's going to be bruised. He's going to be pierced. He's going to be crushed. He's going to bleed. He's going to be whipped. And the Lord God is going to put all of our sins on him. But I'm not leaving him in the grave. Psalm 16, David said, You won't allow your Holy One to stay in the grave and undergo decay? What's the theme? They're all pointing to Jesus. The whole Bible points to Jesus. I once asked this young lady, I said, you ever read the Bible? She said, I read the whole thing. I said, what's your favorite story? She said, I don't have one. I said, tell me something you remember. She said, I can't think of anything. If you read this book, these true words of God, and you miss Jesus, you missed it. You better get some different glasses. Because the Bible is about Jesus. And we can quibble and nitpick over tiny little details. It's about Jesus who came and died and rose and is coming again. And you're either with him or against him. You're for him or you're not for him. You're lukewarm or you lay down yourself at the feet of Jesus and say, Lord, take me in and help me to follow you. In fact, when Jesus was on earth, the Pharisees are like, who do you think you are? We're going to heaven. He goes, you better search the scriptures. John 5, 39, because they testify about me. So don't come to church to hear a great sermon. Come to church to hear a great Savior. At 10th Presbyterian Church, there's a little plaque. I love this. On the pulpit to remind every preacher that steps up. It comes from John chapter 12. It says, the Greeks came to the disciples and said, we would see Jesus. We would see Jesus. When Benjamin leads a song, we're not worried about who's tickling the keys or who's jamming or who's beating on the drums. We would see Jesus. And whoever stands in this pulpit to preach, we would see Jesus. Less of me, more of him. And so as we close today, folks, I give you Jesus, right? The crucified, risen, coming king. And if you've been running from him, messing around with him, ignoring him, mad at him, sad with him, glad in him, wherever you are, just bring it back to Jesus. It's all about Jesus. Surrender and trust him. There's nothing you've done that he goes, you're off the team. But if you, if you keep trying to slip away from him, you'll regret that forever. So while you can, put your trust in him. And if you are forgiven and life is going bad, remember, God's going to put a beat down and take back his reign, and we got a big blessing. We're going to a wedding. You can even put, you, whether you want the filet mignon or whatever, what kind of wine? You're going to drink wine in heaven. Did you know that? Jesus says, I won't drink this with you till I drink it in the kingdom of God. For now, I won't abstain, but then, right? So let's, let's just thank God. Let's just step back and go, all right, Jesus is coming. Man, I can't wait to, to sit at the welcome table, see my brothers and sisters, sit down with Abraham and Isaac, ask Jonah how he stayed in that whale. Just rejoice because we're with Jesus forever. And that ought to give us enough hope to make it through whatever God allows us to struggle with. Amen? Let's pray. Thank you for your word, dear God. May it bring life. May Jesus reign in our midst. May he, may he be dearer and dearer to us. May we sing about him. May we weep as we think about him. May we love him. May we shudder when we think about sin 
because we don't want to grieve the one who died for us. Please forgive me, Lord. I don't want to stand up here like I'm some perfect person who doesn't struggle. Lord, keep us all from the evil one and let your kingdom come. But before it comes, we know the only reason we're not in the kingdom is because God is not willing for any to perish. Save our kids, save our enemies, save our loved ones, save as many as you want to bring to yourself and strengthen us to encourage each one of us. And for those who have lost their way, maybe people that used to come to church and don't go anymore, may you bring them back into fellowship. We pray in Jesus' name, amen.